The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on this week's episode, I'm joined by Emily Paxia, one of the partners at Poseidon, which is one of, as I understand, the largest cannabis investment funds in the world, and one of the longest running, to my knowledge as well. Emily, I want to thank you for being here, and also will invite you to introduce yourself a little more robustly than I just did. No, you did a tremendous job. And thank you so much for having me on. It's always so nice to connect with you. And I, I recommend everybody check out his book because it's quite interesting. It has some good tidbits in it. Um, yeah, I don't know if we're the largest, but we're definitely prolific. And we've been around, I think, longer than almost every firm investing entirely in cannabis and maybe in the world. That was an interesting distinction. Um, but yeah, we've uh, invested in over hundreds of rounds of companies across uh, the seven years that we've been running our funds in the space. And so we've got a second fund with uh, dry powder in it. So we're allocating that at this time very judiciously as it is a ever evolving world, even um, on the macro level. So, um, so it's an exciting time. Cool. Emily mentioned my book, The Cannabis Business Book. She's one of the 50 insiders that I interviewed and featured in the book. So if if you haven't checked it out yet, head on over to Amazon.com and grab a copy. Anyway, now that I've made that shameless <laughs> plug, Emily, you're in a unique position where, you know, there's very few people in the world that have been investing in cannabis full time professionally. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering, what is it like to be Emily Paxia? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... um. It is amazing how uh, when we first conceived of, of investing in cannabis, how different the world was. It was truly a novel concept and the businesses that you see today were not, not maybe even around back then. And some of them have made, made it through this entire time. And the world has, especially in terms of cannabis, uh, shifted many times over since we launched the fund. Um, you know, when we launched, we were opening our doors to new outside capital the same day that Colorado opened its adult use market. And along the duration of being an investor in cannabis, I feel like there have been several events that have felt like I've watched history being made in, in that moment. And I remember the lines out the door in the Colorado market, it was freezing cold people were lining up to buy cannabis. I remember the first day the markets opened and the stocks were just ripping out of control and Morgan was navigating through that as the part of the team that really manages the public portfolio. And I remember all of the friction points along the way of getting our, our you know, operating teams in place, like our administrators and our, our, our uh, auditors. And, you know, and each year I feel like there's a, there's a moment, sorry, um, there's a moment where I've, it kind of crystallizes for me. So I guess like right now I'm just trying to be really present because it's, it's an, a strange time with COVID to be separated from the whole industry, um, physically speaking, 
and to be kind of taking in my career now instead of in person going to check out grows and, and retail locations and meeting with people and seeing companies being built and seeing the tangible evidence of growth um, to now it's it's a lot of this is is being on zoom so um, I definitely am in a little bit bit of a time of like you know kind of understanding what this is going to look like going forward but um, feeling tremendously proud of the good work of this industry that just keeps persevering and, and growing in spite of all of the challenges it faces. Got it. I'm wondering if you could share with me the moment that, or if there was such a moment that you decided to go all in on the cannabis industry. There are a couple of moments. Um, one was, I, I remember I was driving across, riding in a car across the Golden Gate Bridge and I had the SF Weekly in my lap and I was um, flipping through the back section and there were advertisements for local dispensaries and Vapor Room was one of them, I remember, because that was one of the first ones that we really had a relationship with and it was in my, kind of in my neighborhood in the upper Haight area, kind of, well, Haight area, I guess. Um, and I was like, wait a minute, I had known peripherally that I that cannabis was legal in California to some degree because I had moved here just that uh, January from New York. But I didn't realize it was legal to the point where you could be like putting an advertisement in a publication about it. And I was like, wait, this seems kind of crazy. So um, you know, started to dig in on it. And I remember just being like, whoa, this is crazy. Like just knowing coming from the East Coast where people I know, I always use this as an anecdote about product market fit with cannabis, is that ordinary people who hold you know, regular old jobs typically don't break the law. Maybe they speed a little bit, maybe they roll a stop sign, but you know, they'll break the law to buy cannabis. And it happens all the time. And I think that's a pretty strong indication of people's interest in a product is if they're willing to take that step and have like a stranger show up in their home with like a tackle box off a bicycle full of <laughs> drugs. So it's like one of those things where I was like, okay, wait, so now there are stores where people can walk into and so got a medical card and went to Apothecarium actually was the first store I went to in San Francisco's gorgeous store. It looked like a boutique hotel lobby and bought cannabis and it was like the coolest thing. And um, the products were very low-fi, I would say, like in, you know, uh, baggies with business cards stapled to them, but it was in this like beautiful retail location, and I just kind of shifted everything, and so I remember where I was standing when I called my brother, and I was like, there's something happening here. Oh, and I saw people in lines outside the dispensaries, and as a person who used to consult on different retail areas of broader retail, like fashion or um, electronics. Um, I knew that brick and mortar was not actually a flourishing piece of, of commerce at this point. Things had very much shifted to online and e-commerce. So seeing lines outside of a physical location was like, okay, again, another example of demand for a product. So called my brother and we just started talking about it and i remember being like i think this may be an opportunity like of our generation kind of how computers was you know opportunity of a generation this is and and technology was an opportunity of a generation this feels like an opportunity of our generation so those are the two big moments i remember and then i remember the third moment was my brother calling me 
from Rhode Island because he, he took it so seriously that he and his wife decided to sell their home and move to California. So that was a pretty big deal. Wow. Amazing. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, you touched on it a little now about how COVID has shifted, well, practically everything, but I'm wondering how that is specifically affected the investment landscape and whether or not, you know, for your fund and maybe for your peers, you know, are, are folks less likely to be doing deals right now or is everyone kind of in a hold pattern? What's, what's the state of uh, the cannabis investment world like right now? Yeah. Um, so in the beginning of March and through March, it was, um, I would say that the cannabis investment world went on ice. It was like people ran from, from the industry because their broader markets were tanking at that time. Um, you know, we were realizing the impact this was going to have on sectors such as huge sectors that had been performing very well, such as travel, hospitality, um, everything. I mean, Airbnb is a business model that until about two months ago was like a foregone conclusion as a massive success. And now it's like, uh, that may not work very well going forward for at least a while. So, you know, there's a lot of things that um, people thought were very like safe areas of investment. And all of a sudden it was called even, even like Uber and Lyft. And now it's being called into question. So people, I think, inherently view cannabis as kind of a more risk on investment category, especially because of the regulatory aspects around it. So I think people just really retreated and we saw capital run. Um, now we're kind of in a different phase. It's amazing how week to week this industry and actually the whole world is shifting. Cannabis has largely been able to remain open. It's actually proving out to be potentially what we've all hypothesized, which is that it could be resistant to recessions or downturns, it's inelastic in that way. And so um, it, we're, I'm starting to see some more interest back into the sector. So it seriously is like week to week changing. And, and then we've had such catalyst events as like a GTI reported a really strong first quarter in the public market, same with like TrueLeaf and CureLeaf. And I think that that was another thing that before COVID, some of the viabilities of these businesses had been called into question because a lot of the Canadian LPs had been missing on their projections just quarter after quarter after quarter and writing down, writing down. And so that really also impaired some of the outlook of the industry. But now we're starting to see EBITDA showing up in these businesses. And so things are, I think things are improving. Um, but I do think it'll be, it'll be slower than what it had been in terms of the capital inflows. And one of the biggest challenges that we're facing is um, we've always been very proud of our efforts as being boots on the ground investors. We've traveled to every investment. We've been on the ground looking at the actual physical locations, meeting the teams. All of that has been very important in informing our investment decisions in cannabis. And now we're very limited in how we can do that. Um, and maybe, for example, finally being able to take a road trip down to LA to explore some opportunities down there. And we feel we could do it in a way that's social distancing appropriate. Um, we have portfolio companies in Oregon and Washington. So maybe I'll be hitting the road this summer to drive up there just to meet with teams, even if it's outside, but just to see what's happening in those markets so we can wrap our arms a bit around what's happening and, um, and how these companies are performing, so. 
That's a bit of a challenge for pulling the trigger on placing an investment when you can't actually go to the investment and see what's happening in that market. So. Right, right, totally. It's much harder to build a relationship, get that feel for the operation, the operators, and really you know, see what's happening. So mm -hmm. I, I totally, totally hear that. I would be afraid to put money into anything without, you know, being there. So that we have, um, we have not placed more investments than I can count that I'm so happy that we did not put money in because of something that happened in an on-site visit, something we saw, something that revealed itself. I mean, it's really, really important. And one of the things I think about investing is like, if you could tally the things you didn't lose on <laughs> because you avoided them as much as your wins that you did win on, um, that would be a really interesting metric to track because, you know, I think we've sidestepped a lot of things because of our, our, our focus on that piece of it, so. Got it. Um... I'm curious if you can share with me one of the big wins or one of the wins and, and tell that story a bit for, you know, maybe the entrepreneurs listening or the investors who, who may have yet to either secure funding or have an exit or have a win. So is there a story that comes to mind? <laughs> um, See, I, it's, I'm a little superstitious about naming my wins. Okay, that's fair. I can talk about companies that I think are going well. How's that? That's yeah, great. That I'm proud to be a part of. Um, uh, one of them is FlowHub. It's a point of sale uh, software company. And well, I would, I, they're much more than that. They're retail management. And I think that um, they've just been an incredible team to watch how they've grown and evolved over these years. And they just got some incredible new investors in their last round of funding. And they're actual tech investors, not just cannabis investors, which is a nice kind of blessing in terms of they were, they made an exception to be able to invest into a cannabis tech company. And so I think that that was a really important uh, validation for us as early investors and seeing that they had surveyed the landscape and felt this was a really good one. I'm just really proud of the way he, uh, Kyle, the founder has pivoted and navigated through so many different changes in the industry. And especially in this most recent time with the onset of COVID, I'm so proud of all of our founders for that matter, because they so early in the, in when it all kind of blew up in the beginning of March in the US specifically, they all just went very quickly into figuring out how to get very lean and how to make sure that they have resources getting them into 2021. And, and maintaining their business. And so, so far many of them have met or outperformed even their Q1 you know, objectives before COVID. So mm -hmm. that was like good backup work, but um, I just was really proud of how they managed through that and how they are continuing to manage through this time. Um, another one would be Headset because I'm obsessed with the data and I love the team and they, came, they were the founders of Leafly. And I just think it's some, there's something really amazing about a team that can found something grow it, sell it, and then do it again together. And they've proven out to be just super integrity people. They don't get into the, sometimes in software, people can get a little sharp elbowed and they don't get into that. Um, they tend to be more collaborative. Um, and they're in the US and Canada and they've got uh, an insane amount of data that's gone through that platform. Most people I think would be shocked to see how much data has gone through that platform. Um, and then on plant touching side, I'm really proud to have been early in GTI, Green Thumb Industries. 
that's public um, company. And we've known the founders for six years, had worked with them on a couple of projects, watched them grow and have just felt like they've really upheld that kind of integrity focus on the bottom, on like building to the bottom line. Um, and to that same extent, um, Ascend Wellness Holdings is another one that super proud of. They're a private MSO and I think they've just been exceptional in how quickly they've ramped and what they've achieved. Um, and then one more that's kind of a cool one is an industrial hemp processing company that is processing things for more like plastics, textiles. And I feel like that part of the space doesn't get a lot of attention, but what they're building is really incredible. And I think that filling out that piece of the supply chain will create a lot of opportunities for farmers where I think a lot of farmers grew for CBD and didn't realize how much was going to hit the market. And we saw the prices just cratered. And so I think that people were kind of burned by that, but it doesn't need to be like that with hemp because you could grow something, sell it for CBD extraction, but also grow it for processing. And so you could actually get two sales out of one harvest if you're if you have the right genetics and it works and so there's there's potentially some interesting things that could happen there and as we're trying to find ways to create jobs in this country if we could revitalize our textiles and manufacturing in within the US there could be some job creation around this so I'm I'm kind of I'm watching that one really carefully I'm pretty excited about it awesome yeah, that's I, I love that space personally. I, I always tell people to look into that because I'm I'm a big believer of hemp as a regenerative mm-hmm. uh, resource that can can do so much not only for the environment but for our economy and just, you know but more so for the planet. I, I really care a lot more about the planet. But um, and shout out to Cy Scott, CEO, founder of Headset. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, I, he was one of my first high NY speakers, like back in late 2015. And that was actually, it, it's fine. I'll, I'll tell a quick story. That was one of the moments for me when I decided to really go all in because I was like, whoa, if I can get, you know, this guy who was then the CEO of Leafly to fly out to New York to educate people about the cannabis industry and people are going to pay to come see this. Like there's something here for me. Yeah. And, and cause to me, he was like, you know, a big deal, a really big yeah. deal at the time. And he's just the nicest, like most mm-hmm. humble, like yeah. down to earth guy. So shout out to Cy Scott. We got to get you on the podcast soon. Um, <laughs> Anyway. I know it's pretty, it's funny you say that because I remember the first time I had an intake call with him for a headset and I was like, whoa, this is cool. He's kind of like a, you know, OG tech celebrity of cannabis. Right. <laughs> but yeah. it was neat to get to know him. Yeah, he's a really good person. And same with his team. They're amazing. He's one of the few people that's had a successful exit as an entrepreneur of a cannabis tech company. So, you know, it's pretty... Definitely a cannabis tech OG. We'll give them that yeah. for sure. Um, let's see. What what's what can I ask you? Oh yes, this is one of my favorite questions, which is, you know, to succeed in anything, let alone as something as competitive and, uh, I would say, new, unprecedented as cannabis investing, you've got to have some skills and some strengths. And so I'm wondering. What is your superpower? What is your 
you know, what is the differentiator or key strength or skill that allows you, Emily, to succeed? Good question. Um, uh, I think one of the things that has helped me is to, it's interesting. Um, I think it's to be a good listener. I try to be a good listener um, because Sometimes as a female in the room, I'm often the only female in, in many, many rooms. And so a lot of times I'm actually not the first, third or fifth person to speak at a table. And I think a lot of people underestimate how valuable it, valuable it is to sit and listen to everything that is being said. Um, not so you can mimic it or mirror it or whatever. It's because a lot of information will flow at you if you are just quiet <laughs> and, um, and take it in. And so I feel as though that has actually been a very um, helpful mechanism for me to get to get to something maybe quicker than someone else because I actually sat there and listened instead of listening to myself talk. Um, and so I don't know. I think that's it's. I think it's an undervalued skill to be a really active listener, and not just to listen to the actual words that are being said, but the subtext of the what's being said. Um, so that's been really, really helpful for me. I think another superpower, and I don't necessarily think it's anything other than, like my mother always said, my name means indu industrious, and so. I'm just a really hard worker. I work so hard and I'll not give up until I feel that I've done the very best I could on something. And I feel like that coupled with the passion I have for actually building something, like I'm not just, I'm definitely in this for money. I mean, that would be stupid to say I'm not, but I'm very much in this for money. It's what I think many of us are in this for. But I'm also, I'm a believer that if you build something, the money is a, is a byproduct of that. So I'm a, just a big believer in, in working incredibly hard and actually building things for the long run. And for a while, it felt like that was a strategy that was kind of um, being overlooked by the industry because there was a lot of froth and a lot of hype. And it seemed like money was flowing to people that I was mystified by because I just thought it was so transparent what they were doing and how they were approaching it and how they underestimated the intelligence of other people at the table, but it feels like in this new wave of uh, where we are with cannabis, it feels like I'm seeing the separation of true integrity, real fundamentally focused operators from the hype machine. And so now I feel like it's the time for the people who are really focused on building and, and it's really paying dividends. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I don't know. Is that are those superpowers? I don't know. It just feels like it's hard work, and I'm gonna work <laughs> I, hard. I, I think they're superpowers. Yeah. And I'm curious. So you you mentioned it, um, and so I, I want to check in on, you know, what is it like to be uh, one of the only women or the only woman in the room, and what advice do you have for specifically women who are listening to this that may not yet be in the industry, may be considering getting into the industry or, or are already in it, you know, what advice do you have specifically for them? Yeah, I think that my, the way that I've navigated the, 
mainly male world that I live in is um, is through male, you know, creating a network of male advocates um, because I mean, so much of this world is familiarity bias where it's like, I immediately like you more because I've become aware of you or because you were warmly introduced to me or I've heard about you or whatever it is. It's kind of how you, you know, if your reputation can precede you in a productive way, then I think that's really helpful. And so I, um, I do, I rely on a network of very um, wonderful male counterparts in this industry who will make the warm introduction or who will kind of vouch for my place at the table. And it's not, I don't necessarily love that that has, that I don't know if it has to happen, but it certainly helps. And I, the way I feel about it is that I have a lot of respect for those men. I consider them to be mentors and partners. And so I feel like, and I try to pull my weight and do something in return for them through my efforts or connections or network or whatever I can do. And I just think that that's one of the things that um, unless the numbers change, it's one of the ways that I've found that is a great way to participate. And so um, I'm very, I feel like very fortunate because I often do get a warm introduction into the room. And so therefore I'm already kind of starting off on a different, like a level playing field with the people at the table. Um, I think the other thing is that I've tried to really think about, instead of thinking about us versus them, and this is like, I, you know, I studied yoga, I was a yoga teacher or certified as a yoga teacher. There's this concept that, you know, we create these separations through our own perceptions of this material world and that we're a lot more connected than we realize. And I think that I try to just view men as just the same. They're, we're just an extension of one another and we're all really trying to get after the same thing. Um, so we don't have to be separate. And so um, I just try to put myself in, in someone else's position. And um, I think it's created, you know, I tend to have a, I think a space of res mutual respect and, and appreciation instead of trying to be like an us versus them. And um, yeah, sometimes I encounter unpleasant or inappropriate things, um, and that's too bad. But in general, I feel that I've been very fortunate to have cultivated a really good network of of men in the space. And and maybe it is just also cannabis that attracts a more progressive male archetype to the space. But I have been pretty fortunate in in the types of men that I get to work with. I feel like they're very respectful and highly intelligent. So. Awesome. Is that cool. helpful? Was that articulate? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, th I, I think so. I, I don't know because I'm not a woman. You're not a woman. <laughs> um, but I want to ask you real quick, since you brought up yoga and I'm a, a yoga practitioner. And last time I interviewed you, I asked you for book recommendations because I'm a yeah. big reader and, and you recommended the hard thing about hard things and then the uh, autobiography of a yogi. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I, I, I'm curious if you have any recent books that you've read that you've really liked besides the cannabis business book, of course, but. <laughs> of course. Um, uh, I would say <laughs> Andy Grove's high output management has always been, it's a dry read, but a wonderful read. <laughs> 
Um, it was very and, dry. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because Ben Horowitz references this, and I get a kick out of it every time I see the cover. That Andy Grove, like for the photo shoot for the cover of his book, still had his like little like Intel like building pass on his pants. <laughs> he like didn't even like get fluffed up to like look like a certain way for his like for the cover of his book. It's like very sweet because he's just like focused on high output management. Um, so that's a good one from a like business standpoint. Um, I have to be honest, like I try, I used to travel every week um, for this job and I miss it. I miss it. I'm happy to be home in many ways. And that's wonderful too. Um, but I do miss seeing the world. And I was very fortunate last year. I got to go to a number of really amazing places like Mexico City and Portugal and, or Mexico City and Lisbon and Portugal and um, even Italy. And um, I love traveling. That's what I've been building my whole life to do. Um, and so I'm pretty sad about not being able to travel and I don't know what that'll look like. So I, I've actually just been going back and rereading a lot of Ernest Hemingway lately and um, Fitzgerald's and just traveling in my mind. So I don't know, maybe that's helpful for people who are looking to get away, <laughs> but I can't say enough about those classics that let you kind of mentally travel the world and in a different way than what we are now living in. Awesome. I love that. And I have one of my best friends is a fiction writer and he's constantly kicking my ass to read more fiction because I, I read all these like business, whatever, coaching type books. And he's always like, you know, you could learn everything you need from fiction. So just read more fiction, which so he, he'll be thrilled to hear this from you. Yeah. You know, the other source that I have been getting more and more into is Medium. And I've just been following some of the, and now you're, I know you're going to ask me and I, I'm not going to remember anybody's name, but I followed a few people that I just like, some of them are just, right, it's just like opinion pieces or, or stories about their experiences, but I've been enjoying that. And um, we've started doing some, well, I posted two things on Medium, but I'm going to try to write a bit more about what we're experiencing since I am stationary right now um, and posting those. So. Nice. Oh, it's a unique time. So it's a great to document and make record of this crazy world we're living in. Um, yeah. Emily, I, I want to shift gears into the coaching portion in a moment. But I, I before we do, I want to ask you if there's anything that we didn't cover that or anything that comes to mind that you'd just like to speak on. No, I think, no, let's do it. All right. Awesome. Well, you know, we're going to shift into the coaching. So now my coaching hat is on and I'm going to try to offer you some support in whatever challenge you bring me. So to kick it off, I'm just going to ask you, what is your biggest business or even non-business challenge right now? Email management. <laughs> I'm having, because all, everyone's now behind a computer, my email is like worse than ever, which is um, counterintuitive because you would think that since I'm not in person, I'm not in in-person meetings anymore, that I'd be able to keep up on it better, but I'm, I'm having trouble with it. And one of the biggest um, pain points I have is that I have a lot of uh, communications. Well, it hasn't helped that I haven't been able to type <laughs> very well. And I've been trying to use the Google voice thing and Google Docs and then put it, Anyway, it's not going very well from a productivity standpoint, but um, yeah, I'm, that is, I don't know if that's too granular, but I am having trouble trying to prioritize my inbox um, given how many Zoom calls I'm now on every day and um, how much, 
it's funny, I used to, when I'd have in-person meetings, I actually would get home and then be energized to get online and get into the emails. But now after being on the computer all day long, we start at 6 a.m. You know, on the East West Coast to keep up with the East Coast and then end up working West Coast hours too. So it turns into a really, really long day. And so I think that um, that has been one of the big challenges is um, getting back into email and, and prioritizing how to communicate through that platform. Mm. So I'm hearing that it's a, a combination of a couple of things is one, having a, a was it a broken finger? Yeah. Uh, well, which makes, physically makes emailing challenging. Mm -hmm. Then there's the aspect of being on the computer all day now and just having that Zoom fatigue and that computer fatigue. And, you know, I, I can't sit for more than like an hour and a half without going crazy. So I, I totally can relate to that. Exactly. And, and then there's, I, it sounds like there's a third element at play, which is, you know, some of these communications that are now coming in over email used to be in person or used to be yes. in a different medium. So now it's just like, it, it's, it's a change in how you're relating to these existing relationships or mm -hmm. existing people. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough cookie actually. And I, well, so thank you for bringing that to me. C can you, can you give me more color about what is the actual challenge or, or what, what, what would success look like for you? It's a good question. And I'm not sure. I think the, you know, I feel a lot of pressure because people are like inbox zero or whatever that is. And that's just like, I'm at inbox 266 right now and it's not spam. <laughs> so it's like, oh my God. Um, so I think my challenge is figuring out how to prioritize and efficiently like bucket types of responses. Cause I get, this is a good, this is actually a great exercise. Cause there's like Correspondence with investors, which always for me takes priority because our investors are like the first priority I have. Um, and then the second one is portfolio companies, which is I would consider right in the, like a very close second to the investors because it's kind of part and parcel with them. And then the third is intake, like, you know, running a business stuff like taxes, insurance, all the other things I've got to kind of be the one of the final eyes on. Um, so... But yeah, the intake is the thing that gets the slow, the like, the lower, it gets pushed down and it's not great because that's like key part of the job too, but it's like, that's really hard to keep up with. So I, I my internet froze, unfortunately, for like a second in the middle there when you were talking mm -hmm. about intake. So I yeah. missed, I, I think I missed a key part of uh, you describing the intake. I heard that there was you know, the investors and the portfolio co companies, which are top priority. And then there's intake, which I, can you just repeat that for me? I didn't catch what that is and, and what the challenge there is. Yeah. So the intake is like new, new companies that we're embarking on, in, on diligence with. And so trying to figure out how to prior, like get that into the priority. So it's investors, portfolio companies, business management like insurance taxes all that stuff uh, accounting oversight and then and then, and intake. then the intake yeah so it's like 
it's a it's a heavy load but so i'm just trying to i've been thinking about how to try to block out time or or if there's a way to kind of create space to be able to allocate to that a little bit better because it is just tough yeah so at the early stage yeah i'm i'm curious if you have a a current system now or you know it sounds like in the past you had a little bit of a routine at least of you know, towards the end of end of the day, getting to it after the meetings and whatever. And I imagine now it's probably like you're at the computer all day, stuff is coming in all day. You know, some of it you're you're getting to right away. Some you're watching it pile up. There's like that whole thing. So I'm curious if you have a system right now. No, because it's just turned. I feel like my schedule has learned has as chaotic as my schedule used to be. I inherently had a few hours a week on an airplane as well as when I got home from the meetings. And because I had not been in front of the computer, you're absolutely right, I had a system. Now my system is just chaos because it's just all day long I'm on Zoom <laughs> with meetings. And like tomorrow I have a four hour board meeting on Zoom. I had one last week. And I it's so sad because I loved being in person for those board meetings, but now they're on Zoom. Um, but, and so some people might think, oh, well, you're in front of the computer, but I try to be very focused and focus on the person I'm with or the people I'm with when I'm on Zoom, because why have the meeting if you're not paying attention? So, but yet then I finish, you know, yesterday was, was like seven hours, I think, of online like calls, whether it's Zoom or whatever platform. And then I'm like, I can I cannot look at my computer for one more minute and sit and do these emails. It's just so maybe it is, maybe I need to just carve out sections of time now during the day for email. I'm I'm smiling because I'm thinking of one of my a joke that I made when this quarantine started was like, I can do the quarantine routine coaching because people aren't used to being at home and trying to be productive, stuck at home all day, which, you know, I've got some experience doing that. But so I'm a little like amused by that. And another joke I'll offer, which when I think about getting to inbox zero, what comes up for me is I could just start a new email address and then I'll be at zero. I won't give it to anyone <laughs> and then, then I'm at zero. Um, but on a more serious note, I think, I heard you say that, you know, blocking out time. I, I, I'm actually, I want to, I want to check something out because I'm wondering if you're blocking out any time for yourself throughout the day or even in your week where you have time to just, I, I, I don't know, like uh, you mentioned that airplane or travel time where you had, like, what about that time are you now missing? Or, or is there something missing now that you're not blocking out time for? No, it's true. Um, yeah, I think the airplane time was like inher inherently like I couldn't take calls or meetings while on the airplane. And so there were two things that always happened on airplanes, which was I can just listen and think, listen to music and think about everything, processing, and reflecting on meetings I either just had or I'm going to be on my way to having um, while you're in that takeoff and landing time, right? So that's like maybe an hour of every flight is 
you could count that time before you can get online on your computer. And then I would get online on my computer and work for the whole flight, which was always just absolutely just email catch up. Or, you know, I do a lot of the writing for our commentary for our investors. So um, a lot of writing, but all of that being writing, 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 writing. Now I have, um, I'm realizing this is very helpful. I never block out time just to do those things. I'm always trying to find time. If a Zoom call ends early or whatever a call ends early, then I'm like, okay, I'm immediately back into it. But it's not a very um, structured situation, which I realize I wasn't necessarily structured before. It was that the way my life was created those structures. So now I'm now I'm going to be in that position where I have to make a a structure around it. Because I think now that we're having this conversation, I too was like, I'm in front of the computer, so why am I not keeping up with email? Um, and now I'm realizing through this conversation that it's because I'm not carving out the time for it versus being on calls. Got it. I, point. I, I want to check one other thing because I, I'm curious if, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of movement and you're structured into your life yeah. with the travel, you know, and, and all that stuff. And I'm wondering, you know, the same way it's, it's easy to not bring these kind of, I'll call it like a unconscious structure that existed yeah. in, in the pre COVID world. It's easy to, to leave that behind. I'm wondering if there's anything else that hasn't, come forward with you into this new structure and new routine that would be good for you to, to, to bring in? Um, anything that would be good from a, no, I mean, I think the other thing that I just realized was that, um, period of time of just not being able of listening to your music and just thinking about like high level about whatever it is that I was, you know, going to, to, or coming from, and I think that's something else that was a part of my pre-COVID life that's not a part of this one. I am trying to, I do, you know, exercising has been a priority during this time. Um, and I do try to take a walk every evening before dinner in addition to that, just to like try to have that. Um, but sometimes it's just not, like, I don't think I get enough reflecting during those times, so. Got it. So in that case, I... I want to invite you to make some kind of commitment to schedule that airplane mode time yeah. for yourself. Um, what, what might that look like for you? I think maybe I just have to have a more purpose-driven um, aspect to maybe that, because that afternoon walk is the right time to do that, or that like evening walk is the right time to do that. That's like, I'm listening to music anyway. And so maybe it should be just a more purpose-driven kind of um, exercise in terms of what I'm thinking about rather than just whatever. And I think it could be more productive, but yet kind of like exploratory. So you uh, maybe like more of an intention setting before the walk about what I'm gonna kind of work, like think about or work through on that walk. How long is the walk in it's minutes? It's usually like a half hour, 45 minutes. Okay. Cause Great walking. 
Right, because it's. I, I just wanted to check if it was close to that like hour playing yeah. time that you you mentioned. Yeah. And all right, so I'm hearing that you can make the walk more intentional to to have that processing and downtime and maybe unplug during that during that walk. Maybe turn the phone off so you're not getting. You yes. know The. It, what was that? Yes. No, you're right, because in the middle of the walk, half the time I'm getting a call, like unexpected. Hey, do you have a few minutes to talk about this? And you're at, yeah, sorry. No, <laughs> like, yes, that happened to me yesterday. Um, so it's a very good point. Turn so airplane oh, mode. Airplane mode. All right. <laughs> and then. Good tip. I, uh, my job is to draw it out of you. You you have the answers. I, I just ask the questions. And I, I I think this is a good, a good, I think you got a good piece here, a good scoop here. My concern is, I'm not sure if we solved the email problem quite yet. And I know you, you have only a few minutes left, um, but I, I wonder if there's a, like a time that gets blocked that's just for email or even if, you know, if there's one idea that came up for me was maybe, you know, separating those different uh, buckets of communication into different inboxes where, you know, the portfolio and the investors or the portfolio companies and the investors they have direct access to, you know, something that's on your phone that you'll get to see all the time. Whereas, you know, intake is only on the computer, only, you know, mm -hmm. a certain time of day or something like that, where you can kind of automate the prioritization. So you don't have to, um, you know, look at it all the time. And but, so that's an idea. And there's a book, Getting Things Done by David Allen, who's like oh. the, do you know? I'm sure no. you know it. No? It sounds good. Yeah. I He's, don't know that one. Oh, really? Oh, so this is the perfect book for you because I'm pretty sure he's like the the architect, the grandfather of what became Inbox Zero. Oh. So yeah, he's got like the system of of basically deciding, is this urgent or which bucket does this go into? You know, yeah. is this something I need to do right now? Is this something that goes later? I don't remember the specifics of it, but that's the, he's the, he's the guy who, who basically is the progenitor of that. <laughs> that's my that, Scrabble word of the day. That is a good one. That's a really good one. Um, okay, good. I just wrote that down. Nice. So. Awesome. All right. Well, Good memory, good idea. Okay, that was a productive session because now I have a couple of things I'm going to try out next week. Nice, I love it. That's music to my ears. And I will ask you Thank my you. final question, which is what was the MVP of the call or the, the biggest insight you got from our conversation today? Um, good point, good question. Um, actually, I think, <laughs> I think that the realization that that I came to from your question, line of questioning that um, I've had that same thinking of like, I'm on the computer, so why am I getting behind on email? And then realizing that it's such different modalities and that I have to think about how to structure this differently. I think that's going to be a really important 
thing that I'm going to have going forward. So that's a really important thing. And I think I bet other people are kind of maybe facing that same conundrum. So yeah, that's my MVP. Awesome. Amazing. Well, I'm happy that we were able to get some ROI out of our time together. And, me too. and I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to put on my coaching hat and and having a little a little fun here today and also a informative, great conversation for the listeners. And before I let you go, I want to give you one more opportunity to to share anything or or if there's anything that comes to mind or anything that we missed or didn't cover, just want to give you one more chance to to put that out there. No, I mean, I guess I'll just share that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in a phase of optimism about our industry more than even ever before, maybe. Um, and so I would say that if anyone's kind of on the fence about how this is going to go, I would take heart in what we've just witnessed over the last, you know, seven to 10 weeks and what has happened in this, in this country and globally. And I think that cannabis is definitely cementing its position in the go forward uh, economy that we'll be living in, which is to me a pretty optimistic place to be. Awesome. I love that. And so if you're thinking about getting involved and getting started, then go to Amazon and pick up the cannabis business book where you can learn from Emily, learn from me, learn from 49 other experts and insiders of the cannabis business world. And with that said, thanks everyone for tuning in and listening. And thanks again, Emily, for taking the time to be here. Likewise. Thank you, Michael. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The cannabis business coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The cannabis business coach.